0: Welcome to North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week and inspires you to know Christ intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Christ daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its timeless truth for living life God's way. Let's listen to Pastor Brandon as he brings us today's message. As was mentioned earlier, we've been going through a series this year on love. Well, actually more of a theme of love this year. And each of the series we've been doing each month have been centered around this theme of love. And we've been looking at the definition of love as found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and Paul's letter to the Corinthian church where he writes, Love is patient, love is kind, it's not self-seeking, it's not rude, you go on and on and on. Well, the month of May is love never gives up. And that's a part of the definition of love as found in 1 Corinthians 13. And as we look at 1 Corinthians 13 and the specific aspect of love that doesn't give up, we look at the story of Esther. So this this month, we're we're going through Esther. I think it's important to note, too, there are two special holidays that we celebrate in May that actually go, that are fitting with this aspect of love, too. Uh, Mother's Day and Memorial Day. Mother's... Love, and that love never gives up. Some of the toughest times. Now you may have experienced the exception to that rule. Maybe your mother did give up on you. Maybe she walked away, I don't know. And my heart goes out to you, and, and, and I want you to know the love of God that goes beyond a mother's love. But the typical mother loves and never gives up. Also Memorial Day, which is coming up at the end of the month, We're going to be um, looking at our veterans and honoring them as well with this same theme of love never giving up. Their love of country, their love of family, their love of freedom. And we're going to be looking at that aspect of it as well, but through the lens of Esther in the Old Testament. Now, Esther is a small book in the Old Testament comprised of about 10 chapters. So it's really small. And interestingly enough, it's about... The time that the Israelites or the Jewish people have been pretty much not wiped out of existence, but they've been conquered by uh, different nations around them. They used to be a nation, a mighty strong nation under King David and Solomon. And then they became a divided nation. And then that divided nation began to uh, decide that God wasn't enough for them. And so they started worshiping other gods or just worshiping no gods. and, And they did some crazy things in that time period. Even through the warning of the prophets upon them saying, no, you need to turn back to God, turn back to God, Uh, because we're wandering too far from the truth of who God is and what he has given us. And uh, eventually, the northern kingdom that we actually call Israel in the Bible got overtaken by a warring nation called the Assyrian army or the Assyrian empire, So they eventually succumbed to that. Later on, the southern kingdom, which we call Judah, was taken over by the Babylonians. And what they did is instead of killing everybody and wiping out the whole nation of Israel, they thought it would be better to divide and conquer. So when they conquered, like the Assyrians, they took the Jewish people and spread them throughout the whole Babylonian empire so that when they were divided and separated, they couldn't have this concentrated power. Eventually, the Babylonians were taken over by the Persian or the Medo-Persian empire. And this is where we find the story of Esther. Esther is now an exile along with her adopted father, if you will, Mordecai, and many, many Jews throughout the whole Persian empire at this point are trying to continue to be faithful to God as best they can because God always maintains a remnant of faithful believers no matter where and at what time in human history. And so this is where we find ourselves. Interestingly enough, in the story of Esther, we find that she is positioned perfectly to do something of significance, but it would take her risking everything in order to accomplish it. And that's where we pick up our story today. We come upon the story of Esther and we're just taking four chapters of the 10 chapters and we're gonna really do the Reader's Digest version today. But before we get into that, I wanna highlight a story of another person who took great risk. His name is David Livingston. Have you ever heard of a guy by the name of David Livingston? Now he, he was well before my time But in Christianity, or in Christendom, if you will, he stands as one of the greatest missionaries of all times. David Livingston kind of blazed a trail in Africa for future or or for other missionaries to come into the continent of Africa. And, And let me tell you, today, do you know where the fastest growing concentration of Christianity is? where there is a revival happening, it's yes, China's one of those places, but Africa is exploding with growth because the message has gone from David Livingston and others like him till now, and it's just massive. Where they are growing in the United States, we are declining. But the story of David Livingston uh, is pretty interesting because listen to what Joseph Stowell writes in his book, Through The fire. He says, "I think of David Livingston, the pioneer uh, missionary to Africa, who walked over 29,000 miles. How many of you have the the the? uh, Oh gosh, I'm losing it. Apple watches, Fitbits, and all that. Have you tracked 29,000 miles yet? I barely get a half a mile a day. I'm just kidding. All right. Anywho, so." He walked nearly 29,000 miles in his missionary journeys. This is well before uh, the time of mass transit and things like that. His wife, she died early on in their ministry, and he faced stiff opposition. He a, was a Scottish man. He's, he faced stiff, stiff opposition from other colleagues in ministry, other missionaries. He ministered half blind, he did not have good eyesight. His kind of perseverance, Joseph said, spurs me on. As I run, I remember the words in his diary, which say this. David Livingston words are, Send me anywhere, only go with me. He's talking to God. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever me from any tie, but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart, O Lord. As I mentioned last week, our resolve to do the right thing often comes at a great price. Our commitment to follow through with our convictions and to do the right thing, even when it means that we may be risking everything, is something that Esther experienced even as the queen of the Persian Empire. And what was Esther risking? Well, to come before the king unannounced was a sure death sentence, unless. The king offered his golden scepter and extended it to you. Even the wife of the king, who Esther was, could not approach the king unless he summoned her to him. And it had been 30 days since the king had summoned Esther to his side. <clears throat> Mordecai, her adopted father, who was her cousin at one time, said, I need you to go before the king <clears throat> because Haman, the king's second in command, has devised a plan to exterminate all of the Jews in the whole empire of Persia. He did this because he was ticked off at me because I wouldn't bow down to him. And so Mordecai mourns that his people are gonna be snapped out of existence. And so in the last, last week's message, We see Mordecai sending a message to Queen Esther saying, listen, go before the king. Let him know that the decree he just passed because of what Haman asked him to do is gonna kill every one of us off. And she says, you know, if I go before the king, he's probably gonna kill me because he's not even asked for me. And then Mordecai says something very poignant. He says, don't think for one moment that you'll escape that same kind of extermination because when the king decrees something, it stands. It cannot be wiped out of existence. And that means you as a Jewish female will also be killed. But if you don't do this, be sure that a people, God will raise up a people to set us free. He will. So what do you have to lose? You go before the king, he kills you there on the spot. Or you wait until the king's edict has been enacted, and then he kills you then. Who knows, maybe you've been called to be queen for such a time as this. And then we come to the next part, as we read Esther chapter five, the 14 chapters, or the 14 verses in chapter five. Esther told Mordecai, I'm gonna fast for three days. You have your people fast, you have the people's, uh, the Jewish people fast as much as you can, so you get the word out. I'll fast for three days, and if I have to go before the king and die, then die I will. And on the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes, entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out his golden scepter to her, at which point she must have said, and wiped the sweat off of her brow because have you ever had to go in front of somebody that you were really nervous to talk to about any given thing, knowing that the outcome may not be that good? You had to know she was a ball of nerves walking in front of him and he holds out the golden scepter and welcomed her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter, which was customary to say, thank you for accepting me into your presence. Then the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I'll give it to you even if it's up to half the kingdom. Now, this is a figure of speech. Some people read into this literally, but it was customary of kings in that time if they welcomed you into their presence as a gesture of kindness to say, hey, whatever you want, let me, let me help you out, okay? Up to half my kingdom. And Esther replied, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to my banquet that I've prepared for the king. So Haman, again, remember, is the vizier of the king or the second in command. He's, got, he's like the vice president, if you will, at this point the king turned to his attendant or, uh, and Esther replied if it please the king let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for the king so the king says this he turns to his attendants and he says tell Haman to come quickly to a banquet Esther has uh, as Esther has requested so the king and a- Haman went to Esther's banquet now Haman had to be puffed up a little bit this is pretty cool i mean just me to the king and the queen's banquet the, the, the banquet that the queen had called <laughs> To what do I owe the honor? And so he comes. And while they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, now now tell me what you really want, okay? Suspense is killing me. What is it you want? What's your request? And I'll give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. Esther replied, this is my request and my deepest wish if I found a favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request and to do what I ask, please come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet I'll prepare for you. Then I'll explain what it's all about. Now she's pushing her luck. What did she invite the king and Haman to to begin with? A banquet. And the king's like, all right, tell me, what is it do you want now? I went another banquet. Will you come to that one? Now, can you imagine if she pushed her luck a third time? Now, we don't, she didn't. Uh, but what we find at the second banquet, she really explains what's going on, which we'll learn next week. Haman was happy as he left the banquet. But when he saw Mordecai sitting in the palace gate, not standing up or trembling, nervous before him, Haman became furious. How is it? However, he restrained himself and went home. And again, here's the history of this a little bit. Why was Haman, why did Haman go to King Xerxes to have him develop a decree against the Jewish people to wipe them out of existence? Because initially, when Haman was given this grand position, he strutted his stuff down the streets. And everybody was to bow before him. And Haman, who's being carted around and has got this military regalia leading him down the streets of Susa, which is the capital of the Persian kingdom, uh, he notices there's this one guy that will not bow and honor him, Mordecai. So he's got it out for Mordecai. And because he has it out for Mordecai, knowing Mordecai's a Jew, he's like, I'll deal with this. Not only will I kill Mordecai, I'll wipe out the whole nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And he tricks the king into making the decree. And so now he leaves the banquet, and he sees Mordecai sitting at the city gates. Now to sit at the city gates means you have the authority and the status to speak into public policy of the day within the kingdom. And he sees Mordecai sitting at the city gates, and he starts to get ticked off again. Have you ever thought of somebody that is not somebody you're pleased with? What, what emotions does it stir in you? The person that's your enemy. Do you have butterflies and happy feelings? No, he's royally, literally, ticked off. That Mordecai is there. He became furious. However, he restrained himself and he went home. And then Haman gathered together his friends and his wife, Zeresh, and then he boasted to them about his great wealth and his many children. Ha, 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 I have such great wealth many children. <laughs> that's really obnoxious, isn't it? But that's what he did. And wealthy people who are full of pride and arrogance are very obnoxious. And half the time, they don't realize it. Which makes it even worse. And so he's boasting before his wife. She's like, she never said, I gave birth to all those kids. No, he's boasting about it in front of his friends, in front of his wife. He bragged about the honors that the king had given him and how he had been promoted over all the other nobles and officials in the land. Then Haman added, and it's... And that's not all, Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet that she's prepared for us. And she has invited me to dine with her and the king tomorrow again. Then he added, but it's worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate. Everything could be going really, have you ever been like on cloud nine, but then there's just this one thing, that becomes a thorn in your side and you can't let it go? And it destroys the joy you have? See, the enemy has a great way of throwing, of putting little thorns for us to step on or poking us in the side with them to try to get us distracted from all the blessings we've been given. But I digress. So Haman's wife Zeresh and all of his friends suggested, set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall. (laughs) I'm sorry, just you think of the torture techniques back in the day. Set up a a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall. Some of the versions vary in difference because it's measured in cubits, and the cubit is from the end of the elbow to the tip of the finger, and some people have longer cubits than others, all right? So, But 75 feet on average, and this is his wife suggesting this to his friends. Hey, set up a sharpened pole, 75 feet tall. And in the morning, ask the king to impel Mordecai on it. That would be so cool. Let's do that. All right? When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. And Haman's like, hmm, good idea. I think I will. And he had the pole ordered to be set up. Here's the key point this morning, in case you fall asleep at this point or unless you've fallen asleep. Now, wake up, catch the point, and go back to sleep. Love never gives up even when its resolve is tested. Love ne- now, there's a lot that can be, this could be a marriage series right now. Love never gives up even when resolve is tested. Are there times you wake up in the morning and you just, I mean, there are times you wake up in the morning where you just don't feel in love with anything or anybody, right? But love is not, an emotion, nor is it a feeling. It's an action. This unconditional love we are to have not only for each other in our families, especially our spouses, but for each other is this unconditional, sacrificial, selfless love. This is what we call agape love. This is the love that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, that love never gives up. This kind of love is the love we're to have. And when love is tested, when its resolve is tested, it never gives up if it's true love, real love. We can be resolved to many different things. Some things we can be resolved to will not benefit us in the least, but may very well cause us or others great harm. However, we can be resolved to do good things and have this very beneficial outcome for others and ourselves. And this is where we find the contrast between Esther and Haman. Esther had resolved to do what was good. Haman had resolved to do what was bad. And as we look at these two characters today really quickly, let's look at their resolve. What had they resolved to do and what did it benefit them to do that thing? So the first thing is, Esther resolved to come before the king with her request, even if it meant death. And we found out today that the king offered her the golden scepter. He says, come on in. I'm not going to do you in. I'm not going to kill you. Actually, it seems like he was prepared for her. He was sitting on the throne facing the entrance. He knew she was on her way. His advisors had made her aware of that. He could have been prepared to kill her if he wanted to. But he was prepared to extend the scepter to her. Because I do believe he loved her. I believe he cared for her. And I believe he wanted what was best for her. But in addition to all of that, I think Esther somehow had this fondness, maybe even a love for him. Esther's love for her adopted father Mordecai was being tested as well. Esther's love for the Jewish people was being tested. Esther's love for her own self-preservation was being tested. And does she pass the test? overwhelmingly see here's what happens when you know to do the right thing and you don't do it what do we what does James tell us that is it's sinful knowing the right thing to do and not doing it is just as sinful as doing the wrong thing that's really hard for us to hear because my lack of action to do the right thing can be just as sinful yeah yes it can because neglecting to do what's right will be will hold you in contempt if you don't do it. Esther knew the right thing to do, but she also knew that in doing the right thing, it could cost her greatly. But if she didn't do it, it would still cost her in the long run. Esther resolved to go before the king, even if it meant losing her life. How has your resolve been tested? Have you ever been tested to the point to where the pressures were so great that you were just bottled up? You didn't know, you knew the right, and here's the thing, I hear people say, I don't know what to do, but I think if we really lean into God, we know the answer more often than not. It's just we aren't brave enough or courageous enough to make the decision to do the right thing that we know in our hearts and in our minds it's the right thing to do, because we know there's great risk involved. What if you lose everything? What does it profit you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul, Jesus says? Don't worry about the ones who could take the body only. Worry about the one or fear the one who holds both the body and soul and could cast it into hell. Who is that? God only. And God, has this, God, as the righteous judge, can do that. Now, we might get ticked off. Well, he should never do that. If he's an all-loving God, well, an all-loving God also has justice. Because justice is good in a world that's fallen. If God allowed everything to happen and there were no consequences, would he really be an all-loving God? No. There is judgment. But we don't like to talk about that. But here's the deal with with God. God gives us opportunities. He tests us sometimes. Now, he never tempts us, but he tests us. So you can see that littered all throughout Scripture with Abraham and Isaac is one primary example. Uh, Abraham, go offer your son Isaac as a sacrifice to me on the mountains of Moriah. Abraham had a choice. He could take the risk and do what God was telling him or he could say, no, that that risk is too great, I'm not gonna do it. But what what, what did he do? Well, if you're a student of scripture, and even if you're not, you probably know this story. Abraham takes Isaac to the top of the mountains of Moriah, which is the general area of Jerusalem today. He has Isaac carry the bundle of sticks up the hill that the sacrifice will be burned on And when he gets him up there, he binds his son Isaac, lays him upon the pile of sticks and wood, and he rears back to sacrifice him to God. Now, this seems so horrific in our culture, in our day and age, but there's several things going on in the story here. God wants to know, is there anything that is between you and me, even your closest relationships with the ones you love the most? Is there anything between you and me? Because if there is, then I can't be your God and you can't be a part of me. It's really hard, especially on a baby dedication day, right? (laughs) I'm sorry to bring that up, but the truth is, if you love anything more or anyone more than you love God, then not only are you playing with fire, but you're in a place to where you're compromised. And compromise in God's economy is never a good thing. Because God's either, you're either gonna be hot for me or you're gonna be cold for me. Your yes is going to be yes, or your no is going to be no. There's no halfway in this mix. So are you going to risk it all for me and gain everything in return? Or are you going to hold on to everything and lose everything ultimately? What does it profit you? Again, if you gain the whole world, but lose your soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? Because your soul is what's eternal. And if you lose that, boy, are you in a world of hurt. And that's putting it mildly. But see, Esther was willing to risk everything. How have you been tested? How has your love been tested? How did you fare in the midst of the test? Did you give up or did you press in? Did you say, I'm not going to let go because I know the right thing to do is to press in to what is right and to do the right thing and to love unconditionally. Did you stick to your convictions or did you compromise your integrity in the heat of the battle, in the midst of the test? Like Esther, Jesus also was tested, wasn't he? Just before he started his ministry, the Holy Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Did you hear what I just said? Who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan? You can be bold in your answer. It was the Holy Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted. Well, what kind of sadistic father does that? All right, now think about this. You who are fathers or mothers, do you do everything for your children? Every stinking thing. And if you do, you're setting them up for failure. Why? Because you're enabling behaviors You're causing them to be dependent on you, and they should be to a degree, but if you're not teaching them certain levels of independence as they grow, they still stay childish. Now, childlikeness is totally different than being childish. I've seen a lot of adults that never grew up, that don't know how to do certain things. Why? Because their parents or whomever in their life did everything for them. A part of growing up and a part of learning is being tested, is being pushed into, and is learning how to deal with the difficulties of life. It's it's learning to be stretched and to grow. This is why James can say in James chapter 1 verse 2, consider it pure joy, my friends, when you encounter troubles of many kind or when you encounter trials of many kind. Why? Because It produces endurance, and endurance, when, when it continues, strengthens faith. And when your faith is strengthened, you become mature, needing nothing. That's pretty cool. But we don't like the uncomfortableness of the test. We don't like to be tested. We don't like to be pressed into. God knows that you can pass the test, though, doesn't he? Here's the thing, God knows you can pass every test that he, that he allows to come your way. But you don't know that, do you? We struggle with that. Every test that we ever come under is passable. If you have Christ Jesus within you, it's not gonna be easy you may come into the most difficult circumstances of your life and your resolve may be tested. Where do you stand? Where are your loyalties? But God knows you can pass the test. But he also knows you can't do it without him, which is one of those reasons he allows us to be tested because he wants to know, are you with me or are you against me? If you trust me, I can do some amazing things. Yes, it's gonna be hard at times, it's not gonna be easy, and yes, you will be called to sacrifice everything, but I promise you it's gonna be worth it in the end. Please, trust me, trust me. Are you willing to trust? God is not some sadistic cosmic killjoy just playing with our lives. He loves us and empowers us with all that we need to make it, especially if it means risking everything. Because he has everything we need. Why wouldn't we risk everything this side of heaven if he has everything we need? Even Jesus says this, why worry about tomorrow? Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. What do you worry about that's worth worrying that can add a day to your life? Nothing, and Paul knew this. Paul says, for me, and he's in prison when he says this, for me to live is Christ. Do you know what he means by that? If I live, I live for Christ. No matter what the circumstance, the situation, or where I am, I'm not gonna live for me. I'm living for him. But to die, (laughs) to die is gain. Because that means if I die and I know whose I am and who has saved me, then he's prepared a place for me. John chapter 14, Jesus says, don't worry, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Guess what? He's prepared a place for every one of us who believe in him. And when he prepares the place, We know that if we die, there's nothing to fear in death if we have Christ in us and we're living for him. Why? Because if we have an exodus out of this fallen and broken world, there is a world that we have been created for that is perfect. There is no sin, death, pain, sorrow, but some people get so sick to death of this life that they want to take their own life, and that's not the way to get to heaven. The enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy tricks people into believing there is no hope in this world, and there is hope through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who took sin and death upon himself through the cross and rose from the grave, and through him we have eternal life. But the enemy tricks us into believing that when we get pressed so far into, and we are so low, that there's nowhere else but out. And that's why some people take their own lives. And when the enemy gets you that distracted and that hopeless, he's got you exactly where he wants you. But see, Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. He didn't come that we might be depressed and take our own lives because there's nowhere else out. See, in Jesus' day, after he ascended to heaven, he empowered his disciples to go and make disciples through the Great Commission, and the Holy Spirit empowered them, and they were infused not only with the power but the baptism of the Holy Spirit that led them to do some mighty works. In Jesus' name, When they did that and they got imprisoned or when they got beaten and flogged, they didn't say, well, God, why did you do this to me? I thought it was gonna be easier. You know what they did? They came out shouting and praising God that they were able to suffer for Christ's sake. Jesus suffered, he was beaten, he was flogged, and now I get to incur and experience the same thing for his sake, I count it glory. But we have been so lulled into this comfort in our country that we think if if you, no, 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 no. You you just, if if you, you shouldn't experience any troubles. No, no, no. Let's not do, don't stub your toe. Don't, Don't do this. See, the Christian walk isn't about safety. The Christian walk is dangerous. And if you've been told that by any other pastor that it's safe, and it's easy, you've listened to a false prophet. Because I've read nothing in there that says that heaven is paved and easy to get to. Actually, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven says, the way to heaven is very narrow, the gates narrow. And few take it because it's super hard. But the road to hell, it's wide. It's paved, it's smooth, you don't hit bumps, and a lot of people take it. If you're listening to a gospel that's different, you're listening to a false gospel, and that doesn't mean, listen, hear me out on this, because I know it's not a good sales line to get you to become a Christian if you're not. <laughs> hey, come to Jesus, it's gonna get worse. <laughs> um, here's, here's what I do know. If you fully surrender to Christ, no matter what you face in this life, it'll be all worthwhile knowing what the end result will be. To live as Christ, to die is gain. No, it's not easy. That's why we have each other. The author of Hebrews says not, you shouldn't grow accustomed to not meeting together as some have, have done. You need, to, you need to be together. Well, and it goes back to this, well, I don't need the church to be a Christian. Actually, you've been created as a part of the church when you surrender your life to Christ. You're not a loner in this process. Never were you created to be. You were created to be a part of a, a body of believers who can challenge you, hold you accountable. And when we hold you accountable, do you think that's fun? When you hold me accountable, do you think I enjoy that? No. But as iron sharpens iron, we sharpen one another so that we can become better than we were. We are invaluable to each other. The second thing, what did Haman resolve to do? Real quickly this morning. Haman resolved to have Mordecai executed out of arrogance and pride. You can be resolved to do the right things and the risk may be very great, or you can be resolved to do the wrong things for the wrong reasons and it can even cost you more greatly than doing the right thing. Biblical scholar Matthew Henry writes, self-admirers and self-flatterers are self-deceivers. Let me say that again. Matthew Henry, the commentator says, self-admirers and self-flatterers are really self-deceivers. Haman, the higher he is lifted up, the more impatient he is of contempt and the more enraged at it. The affront from Mordecai spoiled all of it for Haman. A slight affront which a a humble man would scarcely notice will torment a proud man even to madness and will mar all his comforts. Now this is written in prose in the 18 and 1900s, but early 1900s, but listen to what he says there. A slight affront which a humble man would scarcely notice, will torment a proud man, even to madness, and will mar all his comforts. Well, did you notice they didn't notice what I was wearing today? Or they noticed what I was, did you know they didn't tell me how good I was at this? I never got one pat on the back. See, you'll notice the slightest affront if you are prideful and arrogant. You'll get royally upset if you don't get credit for something and you'll scream it from the top of your lungs so other people will know that it was you who did all this good stuff. But a humble man will scarcely notice the infraction or will scarcely notice if they're not noticed. Haman was a miserable soul. His dreams and desires were only for himself. Everything he desired, everything he hungered for became a motivating factor in his life. The more he received, the more he wanted, and the more he wanted, the less content he became. This would ultimately prove to be his demise. Caught up in his own selfish ambition and pursuits, Haman would eventually be consumed by his own lust for power, fame, fortune, and authority, and this would be the trap that would ensnare him ultimately unto death. Haman's resolve to punish the one man who wouldn't kowtow to his whimsy left him enraged, and it also left him vulnerable. When you become so prideful and so arrogant, you can't see beyond yourself. You become very vulnerable. Because his pride caused him to focus on punishing one man's actions, he would finally fall flat and defeat rather than succeed in his endeavors to have Mordecai impelled on a 75-foot pole. How badly would he come crashing down? Come back next week. The writer of Proverbs in the Old Testament has something to say about Haman's, the Hamans of our world. Pride goes before destruction, and haughtiness before the fall. Proverbs 16:18. Proverbs 21:24. The writer of Proverbs says, Mark- "Mockers are proud and haughty; they act with boundless arrogance." It's a good thing to stand for your conviction, but it's, even a, it's an even better thing to know that your convictions are rooted in truth rather than some prideful facsimile that leads to your own downfall. There's another story told of David Livingston. You remember who I started out with in case you remember David Livingston, missionary from Africa. Or did you forget that already? So David Livingston, there's another story told of him. Uh, about a missionary society who wrote to him and they ask him this question. Have you found a good road where you are? So he's out in the middle of nowhere Africa. They finally find him. They send him a letter. Have you, are there any good roads to get to you so that we can send you help? If so, we want to know so that we can send other men to join you. And then Livingston wrote back very simply these words. Listen to what he says. If you have men who will come only if they know there's a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. Are you committed to do the right thing even when your resolve is tested? So our worship team comes up today to close this out. Are you prone to give up? and not do the hard things required of of you? Do you easily buckle under pressure, wilt under difficulty? The Bible is replete with stories on both ends of the spectrum. Those that have given up along the way and have lost everything, or those that have risked everything and have gained everything in return. Job. Read the story of Job. It's a clear picture of what we're talking about. Those who give up and those who, press, those who give up and those who press on, there are two different perspectives here. Who are you? Who are you? However, the best example we have of risking it all is found in the story of, is not found in the story of Esther, but in the story of Christ. Jesus faced with one of the most difficult things in his life, facing imminent death. Having told his disciples up to this point, I'm not gonna be with you any longer. Actually, I'm gonna be arrested. I'm gonna be crucified. Don't worry, don't worry. Yes, I'm gonna die, but I'm gonna come back. Watch, see, trust, believe. Just a few weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. Easter is the celebration, not of bunny rabbits and Easter eggs, but rather of the resurrection of Jesus Christ who did what he said he was gonna do, who lived a life that you and I should live, who loved relentlessly those of us who may seem completely unlovable, all because he created us and he sees the value in each and every one of us. You may not see your own value in his eyes, but you have to trust that he sees value in you because if you don't, you might go down a path that's gonna to lead to your destruction there's a difference in, in, in humble boldness and courage and arrogance and pride. You see, when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, we are told that we can approach the throne room of grace boldly. We can come into God's presence. We can come before the throne of the very God of God's. Unlike Esther, we don't have to fear and tremble in front of him thinking he's going to kill us. He's always got the scepter hanging out saying, come on, I need you. Oh, I want you. But see, too many of us fear stepping into the holy presence and you need to have this holy reverent fear. Don't get me wrong. But he says, come before the throne of grace boldly, not arrogantly, not pompously this boldness this confidence you can come before him in confidence knowing that the scepter is outreached to you be resolved when you're tested to come before that throne room of grace with confidence knowing that his love for you never ends never fails never gives Now, you could give up, but he loves you. He hasn't given up on you. He's done everything he conceivably can do to save you. All he needs you to do is surrender to him. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. And um, in this place, I know you're working through the power of your Holy Spirit to touch lives, to bring conviction of sin, to encourage, to edify to lift up, to save, to bless, to bring name changes to those who need it. And God, to walk with, walk with so many others through deep, dark valleys of the shadow of death. I pray that we would be resolved this morning to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love each other as we love ourselves. And God, even when we can't love ourselves, God, help us to see the value that you've placed in each one of us. Help us like the psalmist in Psalm 119 to know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Give us strength and courage. Give us boldness to step into the throne room of grace, knowing the scepter has reached out to us and all we have to do is step in in faith, knowing that forgiveness is offered freely. Help us to be light and salt in the world you've called us to. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website at www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. And if you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that'd be helpful too. If you'd like to donate to the ongoing ministry of North Maine, go to www.northmaincog.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Again, thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.